the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Thursday and welcome to the common good on AIM 1160 hope for your life my name is Brian Fromm and I am joined by my co-host Ian Simpkins it's cold out there today Ian it's cold yesterday cold today you get I, I wouldn't this? know I wouldn't know I haven't left my house <laughs> in at least three days not not even to not even to like peek my head out not at all I felt like it was getting to the point especially yesterday where I was like you know what uh, it's either just remain inside the house and get cre- the house just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> so it was like I'm gonna I might I might just make a run at this. I'm gonna be one of those people who throws boiling water in the air. I'm gonna do something outside. So well, my my house is already like approximately 17 square feet to begin with. <laughs> so with like a one year old who's getting like stir crazy and a newborn at home, <laughs> like we're just practically on top of each other. It's 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 good thing there's no like visuals of us right now. That I, this is just audio. I was gonna ask you that because those of you who are joining us you know uh that ian and his wife have just welcomed their second child over you know what a week week and a half ago uh and now you add to that your 14 15 month old and a polar vortex (laughs) i mean why not why not paint the picture of your house right now i've been uh you know, when, when I felt stir crazy yesterday, I did think of you going, oh, man, that's got to be bad over there. <laughs> well, I also like I just go into full dad mode, too. So like every single possible precaution that I read anywhere, whether the source was credible or not, I'm like doing it. So I'm like buying the covers for the outside faucets and yes. I'm like opening the cabinets under each each sink and each faucet has had the slow drip since you know like monday it preemptively make sure the water's running and i have space heaters that i'm moving from room to room that i'm trying to coordinate strategically and i it is it's pretty ridiculous but you know my my one-year-old is uh he's still really entertained by like plastic spoons so nice fortunately i don't have to like go get anything to entertain him i'm just you know i'll, I'll throw him some flatware and uh and he's good to go <laughs> that's funny uh, my wife and I, neither of us slept well on Tuesday night because we were so geared up for like, don't let stuff freeze in the house. Right. So you like you, uh, you know, you had told me some of the stuff. So we had the drip go in and we opened the cabinets and all that stuff. We cranked the heat up. But then <laughs> uh, painting a picture in our house, uh, my wife and I kind of sleep. We, we've transformed what used to be part of the attic. Uh, before us, they transformed it into a playroom and we've made it our bedroom. So, oh, uh, okay. And so it works great, uh, but there, I don't know, did you know this thing exists called ice quakes? I, I was just reading about this. And like, it can't, like, every time we heard it, I'm like, the house is breaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, they're loud, right? They I mean, it's... are, and because we're like basically right under the roof the way our, you know, because we're in what used to be an attic, 
Uh, they said it's just like it's normal, this and that, but it literally sounded like uh, roof shingles were just flying off. And, oh, and then, you know, you hear a bang and you're like, that's it. The main water line just broke. We go downstairs. So we were, neither of us slept very well thinking uh, it was it. And uh, then by the evening last night, the kids were like, all right, we're having oven pizza and we are going to watch a movie. Yes. Uh, and so here's the movie we watch. You ready? Oh, uh, gosh. National Treasure 2 <laughs> with... Uh, with Nicolas Cage. Why would you ever do that to your family? It was awesome. I don't believe it's you. It's one of those movies where you just go, you know what? There is absolutely nothing in this movie that could actually happen, but I'm going to really enjoy taking the ride with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, can, I can agree with that. That's, that's certainly fair. I do. Man, I haven't heard any of these ice quakes, though, but I've been seeing people post about them. Yeah. That, I mean, that legitimately sounds... Terif- I mean, the, I guess the silver lining is we have a newborn at home, so we're not sleeping anyway. So that's true. Like if we're waking up for you know ice quake reasons, I'm like, well, I was gonna be woken up in five minutes anyway, so uh, let's keep this party going. We have like a little twelve to fourteen pound dog named Pippa, and uh, it was my duty yesterday uh, to take her outside when she needed to go to the bathroom. And oh, every gosh. time we went outside, she would just look at me like, "You've got to be kidding! <laughs> like, what why are, you why doing are we doing this?" Me? <laughs> I, I would just kind of look at her and be like, hey, the quicker you get this done, the quicker we're in the house. Oh, gosh, uh, that's terrifying. It was funny. It was funny. So I read this story out of uh, McLean, Illinois. Yeah. And uh, the the headline was just this, Chile, Illinois, police arrest Elsa from Frozen. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the- it's really great. There's actually a statement they released, too. Attention, due to the extreme cold weather, all criminal activity and acts of stupidity and foolishness has been canceled. Even Elsa has been placed under arrest with no bond until further notice. <laughs> Thank you for your attention and understanding to this matter. So clearly this they were just doing this uh, to be funny. But the funny thing is if you look at the picture, any of you can look up the McLean Police Department Facebook page uh, showing a woman dressed as the animated Disney character. She's being handcuffed and placed in a police patrol vehicle. But uh, if you look at the picture, one way you know that this is a joke is the handcuffs are pink. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even notice that. The handcuffs oh, are big. Incredible. But I don't that's know. My amazing. kids are older now. But if, if my daughter, there's a time where if she had seen this, she would have, like, flipped. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Oh, yes. She would have been like, why are they why are they arresting my favorite princess? Uh, but, yeah, they're they blaming in McLean, Illinois. They are blaming Elsa, uh, which feels good. She's from Frozen, so that feels good. <laughs> feels, that feels good. I barely knew that was true, to be honest. I, uh, I'm i not really up on my – I my wife did share an article, though, from uh, – Um, from Chicago CBS local and the heading says Chicago weather it's so cold that you shouldn't talk too much or even breathe (laughs) so so she shared it she said uh, it's it's nice to see the introverts finally getting some attention (laughs) that's don't even talk that's my dream come true that's great (laughs) you know what I was also able to tell that you were cooped up yesterday because obviously you and I we follow each other on Facebook and Twitter and such sure Uh, if you ever want a good time a good laugh follow Ian on on Facebook and uh, and (laughs) You, I could just tell that you were cooped up looking for, like, interaction because uh, you spent all day just doing, like, cold puns. Just Oh, over. yeah. I couldn't. It, it's a sickness, man. I can't turn it off. P- people ask, like, how do you come up with these? I'm like, I don't even. It's just there. The pun is just there on its own. I don't even have a say whether or not it comes out. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were having fun. Uh, but you did it from your hometown. You had a little bit of a crazy story with the cold from Detroit. Yeah, and some people were posting this story, um, which is a little frightening because um i saw a bunch of people a bunch of people explaining that they had turned the heat way down in their house and i couldn't i couldn't figure out why but uh, from the detroit news 
It says uh, appeals flood consumers use less gas after utility fire. So there was this utility fire um, at one of the structures of Consumers Energy, and the APB went out asking everyone to, to, to crank it down. So I, I saw friends from my hometown saying, like, all right, I guess I got to wear a jacket. I'm cranking it down to 50, and um, I'll just keep the faucets running. So, like, apparently there's a this is like an unprecedented crisis of its kind that uh, it just sort of overloaded the system. Everybody, you know, cranking up their furnaces um, higher than usual just caused this this fire, apparently. And 50 on the surface doesn't sound that... Like, if it was 50 outside, we'd all go for a walk. Oh, inside's um, terrible. Oh, my goodness oh, gracious. Yes. It's it really, it's terrible and terrifying yes. because you think, how am I ever going to sleep in this? So I, I, I don't think Detroit is alone. I think there have been stories like this cropping up all over the Midwest of people... Uh, who have been asked, like, hey, can can you consume a little less just yes. for a couple of days to kind of help our system recover from all this, which is ah, it's so scary. So it's cold outside, people. It's cold on this Thursday, <laughs> even more so than winter, but we won't spend much more time talking about the cold. Uh, we hope your insides are warm, and uh, the, it's going to be in the mid-40s this weekend. So talk about uh, just kind of a crazy uh, change in the system. So... Uh, well, coming up next, we are going to turn to an interesting story uh, that talks about this church's brace for Illinois exodus. Ian and I are both pastors here in Illinois, obviously in the Chicagoland area. And this article in the Gospel Coalition is talking about what is the effect going to be as so many people are leaving Illinois and specifically what's it going to be on churches, what the burden on churches, but also maybe in this story, there's an opportunity. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined by Ian Simpkins. Uh, I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and Ian is the teaching pastor uh, at Community Christian Church at the Yellow Box in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, if you want to join our Facebook family, if you want to follow the, uh, uh, follow the show at Facebook.com, you could do that at slash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you find podcasts. Uh, we would love it if you followed us, if you subscribe to the podcast, if you left us a good review. And uh, we're trying to grow this community uh, of people, and we don't want this just to be a two-hour radio show, but we want to be able to grow this, uh, hey, get hey, to know people. Brian, quick question: Can can I find it on my mobile device as well? Is that an option? <laughs> I knew you. I, did you notice how I avoided that? <laughs> I, then, I was really proud of you. I just had to go back. I'm so sorry. We're going to do a segment every day where it's going to be called well, the way this is going thrown under the bus by Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Follow on your mobile device. We're also, I don't think to... you need to mention Facebook.com. I think people know that Facebook is a is a dot com website. I don't with, know. That, I don't know that you do explain with, that. With each day, I just get older here. With each day, I get older and over. <laughs> Well, one reason that I bring up that Ian and I are pastors is off of this article out of the Gospel Coalition. You can find this at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, it's titled this, Churches Brace for the, quote, Illinois Exodus. Uh, basically, it's this, that Illinois, and we all know the politics of Illinois, that we've been <laughs> robbing Peter to pay Paul, and it even says that right now that the, the amount needed to pay off promised retirement benefits in Illinois now stands at more than $200 billion or about $50,000 from each Illinois household. Uh, and in the midst of this, uh, they're kind of sounding the alarm. Mm. And uh, 
the article says this, that it's hard to see a bright economic future for Illinois, at least before a serious reckoning. Already, so many people are leaving, more than 45,000 in 2018 alone, that the trend has been named the Illinois exodus. That means fewer taxpayers to share the burden, which likely leads to higher taxes, which likely leads to more departures. And says this has been the trend in California and also my home state of New Jersey. In fact, you know, as a side note, Ian, the uh, the two states that are number one and number two in people leaving it are the state that I currently live in and the state I grew up in, <laughs> Illinois and New Jersey. I believe New Jersey's one and Illinois is two. Illinois is two. Uh, and so the, the Gospel Coalition article then takes a turn here. It says, for churches, this means fewer bodies in the pews, fewer checkbooks open, fewer staff members employed. And as Illinois looks at cuts to social programs, it already it already struggles to fund more people looking for help. So uh, you and I are pastors in Illinois. As you read kind of a, what almost feels like a doomsday article, yeah. um, what's your reaction to it? Well, you know, I, I've been aware of the Illinois exodus for a while. I think a couple of years ago it was number one, the most moved out of state uh, in the country. And I've read a number of articles over the years that uh, try to explain and understand why. But e- either way, you, you can't argue with the fact that it's happening yes. um, in in massive numbers. And I do think um, at one level that's frightening because we live here and we you know own homes here and there's like some personal stuff that is – uh, kind of terrifying. If, if I if I can try to find the silver lining here, though, uh, it would probably be this: that um, when churches have less resources to hire the professionals, quote unquote, to do the ministry, right, it becomes all the more necessary for like the church to be the church, right? For like people, um, for leaders to be raised up. You know, at community, we're always talking about who's your apprentice. Yeah, we talk about having a, a, an I C N U conversation. The four most important letters. In the alphabet, like having these conversations where we say, I see leadership in you. I see potential in you. I think this kind of article for me, that it just feels like just like a fire under me. Like, okay, we, we need to make this all the more a priority. And I think yeah. of uh, one of the things we do every summer is called Summer Serve. And uh, our community 412, which is like our justice compassion branch, um, they do an incredible job throughout the year helping us like live out justice and compassion. But in Summer Serve, we mobilize thousands and thousands of uh, of community people partner with like almost 30 different local ministries and rescue mm. missions um, all across like five different cities. And every time we do that, I'm always amazed by the number of people who have never served before. They're like, man, are there other ways I can serve? Yeah. Like, oh man, people are hungry to care for their communities to, you know, to reach out, not just in their own neighborhoods, but under-resourced neighborhoods. And um, like, I'm always really humbled by how hungry people are uh, to do these things, and then sometimes maybe I think we don't give them enough opportunity to because, you know, we sort of say uh, maybe not overtly, but like, hey, what well, you know, let the let the professionals take care of that. Absolutely, and I I just know it's the reality for most pastors that I know that uh, my church included that uh, there had to be serious budget talks going into this year. Yeah, going, right. you know what? People are hurting, people are moving, but even the people who aren't moving, you know, taxes or whatever, um, going higher or less expendable income. And uh, so we had to make some budget cuts this year, and I'm guessing you guys did as well. I think most churches had to. Um, And that's scary, right? Like when you're dealing with livelihoods um, and when you're just dealing with, you know, we we all want our churches to get bigger. And it just might be that, you know what, churches are going to get smaller because our state's going to get smaller. Right. And uh, there's kind of out of our control. But I love the way you took it because with it comes an opportunity 
that, that if if some of these nonprofits are less able to help or government organizations more so are yes. less able to help the hurting, what better organization or better um, set of people to come in than the church? And so uh, this article says, you know what, it, when times are hard financially or whatever, a lot of times it becomes the, the default becomes to look inward and be like, well, we got to just take care of our own and we got to batten down the hatches. There's that phrase again for you. We, we got to get close, but he says, the author says, in actuality, uh, the churches, if, if in Illinois, we say, you know what, this is our home, we're not going anywhere, right. there's going to be an opportunity coming our way to even better serve our community because there's going to be more people hurting and more opportunity for us. Well, and that's, I mean, that's been true since the very beginning of the church. Before the church had websites and stages and microphones and screens, uh, it had its generosity, It the way that it loved people, uh, even and maybe particularly those like, quote unquote, outside their tribe. There's all sorts of historical documents of people who are not Christians and not even necessarily fans of Christians yeah. who wrote things like, wow, look at these Galileans that care for not even their own sick, but ours as well. Like yeah. that was their apologetic. What it wasn't. And I'm not knocking any of those things that I listed, but um, in some ways, that's where the church, I think, has an opportunity to put its money where its mouth is or um, to be the hands and feet when the opportunity is right at our doorstep. And yeah, like I think sometimes it, it is helpful for the church to run lean. You yeah. know, so sometimes yep. there is a for me and we've talked about some recent stories of, of, of pastors that have maybe gotten a little too comfortable with uh, the way money is handled within within their organization. So like the idea that like, OK, Maybe it's time for us to spend less time legislating what we've been unable to inspire our congregations to live. Let's lead people not just to attend something once a week, but to be a part of something seven days a week. Yeah. And I think something like this is is a, an amazing opportunity. I love that story you brought up from the early church because basically, you know, the powers that be in the Roman Empire said, hey, we've got to figure out a way to start out serving these Christians because they're serving our people so well that right. the people are going to them. Uh, and we have to start building better hospitals and serving better, but uh, it, they didn't have the mo- same motivation that the Christ follower had. And so that's a great call. Um, you know, it's going to be weird in Illinois, I think, in the coming years. And uh, it because of that, there is an opportunity for the church. So if you're a pastor out there, uh, what might that look like in your community to be a little more outward focused and say, how can we serve the community where maybe yeah. now the government isn't or whatever else it will be? Well, the Illinois exodus, we, we understand it, especially in this temperature right now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Every time it gets this cold, I say to my wife, maybe we should be part of that exodus. What's going on? But <laughs> no, we love it around here, uh, partially because we get to do this show, The Common Good on AM 1160. Coming up next, uh, Ian and I are different phases of the parenting world, and we're going to ask this question off this uh, story that we read. Uh, should you pay your kids to do chores? Uh, We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian is the teaching pastor at Community Christian Church the Yellow Box in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, Ian, staying warm. Got got a new baby over there. All's going well with you, right? <laughs> I think because of the new baby, we like our temperature is at you know ninety seven degrees or something in our house. Like we're just making, we want to make absolutely certain 
that it doesn't even get close to getting cold in our home, so we've way overreached. It is like being in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. We want to try and simulate that as much as possible. There you go. Uh, it, how, is the, uh, how is the sleep going? What is the longest stretch of sleep you'll get in a given day or night? Uh, are you asking what I'll get or what my wife will get? How because about both? I'd like to hear this difference. Well, I'm not. I'm not proud of this. I grew up in a family of nine, so I just I could I could sleep through uh-huh. an earthquake. Like so, sometimes she'll tell me in the morning, and I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even hear him. You gotta, you gotta wake me. And she's like, Well, I said your name. I was like, No, you need to like, you need to punch me in the throat to wake me up. That's <laughs> yeah, that's that's the kind of sleeper that I am. So I'm tr- I'm trying to be more attuned to it, but you know, he's he's still so new. He really needs mom. Yes. Um, so yeah, it, it really is like every two and a half hours or so. So it's a little bit of a marathon, but I try to, I tend to stay up later. So, um, we've tried to work out a schedule where my wife can go to bed earlier and I'll stay nice. up with him and then give him a bottle or something. So we're, we're, we're trying to make it work. You're getting there. I remember my wife, uh, the worst thing I could say to her in the morning is, huh, I don't, did the baby get up last night? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I've said that like... so many times and I'm so glad that I've caught myself more than yes. i typically have <laughs> i learned to stop that like, oh, i got a great night's sleep did that baby ever get up <laughs> boy do i feel rested <laughs> <laughs> that never went very well no. so. <laughs> well speaking of kids another uh article or story out of the gospel coalition and it, and it asks an interesting question one that uh is probably more in the wheelhouse of my kids i have a uh freshman in high school her name is madeline i have a son by the name of jackson who's in fifth grade and a daughter named emily who is in the fourth grade whereas ian has a 15 month old and a you know a newborn a week and a half old baby uh but it asks this question and we would love your feedback about this especially if you're a parent and you're dealing with this you could talk about this at the common good radio show on facebook that's the common good radio show Uh, and the question is this should we pay our kids to do chores uh it starts this way. Teaching children responsibility is a primary task for parents. The question of whether or not an allowance should be paid for completing chores requires parents to consider training in two areas simultaneously, responsibility for work and responsibility uh, for money. It says this, the vast majority of American parents who pay allowance tie it to the completion of work around the house. With new apps to organize paying kids per chore, allowances have obviously advanced beyond the dollar-a-week payments of my childhood. (laughs) There's not necessarily one right answer to the question of whether completion of chores should be tied to monetary reward. And I would say this. We don't – my wife and I, we don't pay our kids uh, to do chores uh, but I also bang my head against the wall trying to get them to do chores. (laughs) Right, I'm sure. And so – it is a little bit of both. Sometimes I don't think we pay them just because I'm cheap. <laughs> uh, because I appreciate you admitting that. They don't get an allowance or anything. Uh, they get paid to do work for other people, but not really in the house. And so I wrestle. I When I first read this, I thought it would be an interesting discussion because I don't have a good answer. Uh, because I do think in my home we struggle with chores, but we also don't pay them. Right. Uh, because that also builds in this task of, you know what, you're part of the family. You should be doing yes. something apart from money so maybe a bigger thing will pay you for but uh not every every uh stinking thing we do around the house am i gonna pay you for so uh, i go back and forth on this and what is your history with this like you you don't have to worry about this with your kids yet but you've often told us you uh you were grown up with a house of nine uh, oh yeah well probably lots of chores so what's your take on this uh, well i mean i'm currently paying our one-year-old to shovel the walk so he's (laughs) he's uh he's earning his keep he's not very good at it though it's the fine motor skills no i I actually and i'm you know i'm biased i 
I think the way that my parents handled this was brilliant. So uh, we didn't get an allowance. It was it was um, it was taught to us early on, like, hey, this is what it means to be a family. We yes, we carry our own, and you know, the nice thing about a big family is there's always need. There's always kind of something to be done, and I'm sure that we dragged our feet and we were a pain, just like just like any kid. Um, but there were there were two things that my parents did that I thought were were brilliant. One. Um, they let us start working pretty early. So I got a paper out at like nine or 10 oh, and wow. my, you know, my mom would drive us. She wasn't just sending us out, you know, into the, into the darkness. But, um, at nine or 10 doing a once a week paper, you could earn, you know, 60 bucks a month or something. That yep. was like a million dollars to a 10 year old. So yep. they would teach us about the value of money. And she would say, if you, if you want those rollerblades, that's great. You have to stay for them. And to me, that made perfect sense. I was like, sure, that make, they're my rollerblades. That makes perfect sense. I didn't even realize that people, that other things were happening around in the world. I was like, okay, that, that makes perfect sense. Now, what they did with chores, I also thought was brilliant. And they've done this with grades and a couple of other areas as well as they created this uh, like intricate spreadsheet that we put on the on the uh, on the fridge, and I think we called them like angel points or something. <laughs> nice. And so you could like earn certain points, but the way that you cash those points in almost always tied back to uh, some sort of activity together. So in the same way that like if you got really good grades, you didn't get money, but you did get to go out for a piece of pie with pops. Like that was such a it it for us was it elevated the importance of like time together, of experiences well, like together, rather yeah. than just. Here's some money or here's some things. It's like, yeah, when we do these things, when we're part of this together, we celebrate together that we've we've uh, we've done well in this area. And I I always really appreciated that. Kind of off the subject a little bit, I love that concept. As I get older as a parent, I'm so much more about the experiences than the stuff. Yeah, and right. one way that we've started tackling that is uh, my wife and I have begun buying our kids less gifts for their birthdays or at Christmas. And for what would have been one or two gifts, we've begun give. It's become a game in our house that I think the kids really like, where we'll give them a list of five experiences, and they get to choose one. Oh, that's great! Uh, and it becomes one of their gifts. And so, one of my, you know, my son chose family laser tag and Portillos one year. Um, we went bowling one year, and then at Christmas time. Uh, we give the three of them a list that they have to agree on, and it's always something bigger. So this year they chose. Uh, they surprised us, and they chose snow tubing at Villa Olivia, which we haven't done yet, but we're going to do it when it's no longer a polar vortex. Um, <laughs> but part of that, I get so tired of how much stuff we have. Yeah, uh, right. And um, so we've begun going down that experience route. I really would encourage parents out there, whether it be for birthdays or like Ian saying, his parents did a cool job doing it for doing stuff around the house. Tie it to experiences. That's what the kids are going to remember more than another you know, Xbox game or another, whatever it might be. I love that call to experience. Well, and, and that's not to say that I didn't also sometimes at some point in my childhood want money. Absolutely. Like I remember l learning that friends were getting money for good grades. And I remember <laughs> like asking my dad, like, Hey, um, what do I get for getting good grades in school? And with like, without even looking up from his paper, he said, you get to sleep indoors. And I was like, Oh, that's <laughs> you get to sleep indoors. <laughs> duly noted. But he was, it was, it was true. And it wasn't, it was always tied to, Hey, this is what it means to be a family. It means we care for one another. We invest together to make this thing happen. It means that I remember times like, like watching my father teach me how to mow the grass or how to like properly load a dishwasher or yep. like, those are things even being taught how to do them. Um, I maybe didn't appreciate them when I was 12, but now as a father myself, those, those memories have like 
a tremendous place in my heart of like, wow, they weren't, it wasn't just do these things because that's what a family does. It's yeah. like, like learning to live life together um, with people and the ins and outs of that are sometimes messy, but it was, it was always tied to um, we have each other's back. That's what it means to be a family. And when we celebrate, we celebrate together. I think that's a, that's a great idea. Like let's parents out there. If we could give you one bit of advice, uh, move towards experience, go for experiences. Those are the things your children are going to remember. They're going to remember quality time with you. Uh, so you could tie that to their chores. You could tie that to their allowance, uh, whatever it might be. Well, we're trying to figure out this whole parenting thing. We know a lot of you are out there as well. Uh, if you want to interact with us, you can do it on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and joined again uh, by Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor uh, at Community Christian Church, the Yellow Box in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, so Ian, as pastors and just as, as people, as followers of Jesus and just as people, uh, it is impossible uh, to, on a regular basis, but specifically this week, ignore the issue of abortion. We've had the, um, the new law that came out of New York, um, kind of expanding uh, late-term abortions and the the haunting kind of picture of the people in the Congress. They're cheering and they lit up the uh, uh, the Freedom Tower to celebrate it. Just kind of the the bad taste of that. And then out of Virginia, you had the uh, the governor yesterday, kind of explaining it in detail as to his beliefs and um, this the councilwoman kind of proposing a bill in which. Uh, she was pressed, and they said, "If so, literally, if if the woman was in labor, does she still have the option to abort?" And she said, "My bill would allow for that." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, there's been a lot of back and forth about the actual bills and the actual laws, uh, and those are worthwhile conversations because there's something to be said about no, this is more to just protect if there's a life in danger, if there's something wrong, I and that no woman would ever want this. I understand that, but at the very least. It seems to be an expansion, um, or at least a solidification uh, of kind of the uh, of abortion within our society. And so, I, I kind of want to tackle this not from a news end, but a little bit more from a pastoral end. Um, but first, just kind of your thoughts as you've been reading these things, watching the news, whatever it is you're doing um, over the last couple of days. Well, it's you know it's something that we've said about our hope and dream for the show in general is that um, in an age where people seem to be yelling louder and louder that the other side is wrong, when we uh, seem caught in our echo chambers and our confirmation biases, when we you know demonize the people that disagree with us, that we want to create a space to have a dialogue in the messy and the gray, the the tension uh, is something that we want to enter into, and uh, I think. In particular, this last week and a half, uh, I've just felt the weight of that all the more. That well, I don't, I don't, I, I sometimes think we struggle to even hear each other well, particularly when it's something that um, you know strikes a chord so deep within us. And I, so I've been trying to read a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different people on on both ends of the debate and both ends of the argument. And um, it it does. It, there's a there's so much about this that honestly just breaks my heart. Just yes. makes me so sad. 
so upset. And there are other areas that do seem to be intentionally inflammatory or maybe not a full grasp of what this law says, what this article says, or what people were actually saying or doing or signing. Um, and again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor that I feel, you know, way in over my head for this. And I, it, the very least though, just like stepping back and watching people that I really care about just rip each other to shreds. You know, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, this idea that, um, sometimes common ground isn't always what we need to stand for or point towards. Sometimes we need to say, no, this isn't, this isn't right. Um, yep. But also have the the wisdom and maturity to say, are there other pieces of this that I don't understand yet, or that are still not clear to me? Or, and again, as like a white straight male too, I want to be careful about um, also being someone that listens too. You know, not just uh, runs my mouth about what I think about a topic, but to to listen to stories and people that are, you know, kind of in the front line. But at, at the end of the day, the whole the whole thing just makes me sad. Yeah, and speaking of writers, uh, I've now mentioned this guy's name a couple times on this show. A guy by the name of Scott Sauls. Uh, if you want to follow him, his blog, I think, is one of the best ones out there. It's scottsauls, S-A-U-L-S dot com. Uh, and he wrote an article the other day on his blog called New York, You Made My Heart Sink Last Week. Hmm. Uh, Sauls, for years, was worked at the church, worked under Tim Keller in New York City. And Sauls right. is now in Nashville. He left there to take over a church, a big church in Nashville. Uh, but in many ways, his heart is still there. And one reason I love Sauls is because of exactly how Ian just described – uh, he looks to fall more in the middle. In fact, he's the guy who used the quote that I used the other day when I said, uh, politically, uh, as as Jesus followers, uh, we should make both conservatives and liberals uneasy. <laughs> hmm. They they should get mad. Both should get mad at us. And if that's not the case, then there's probably something wrong. And Saul says this. He says, my position is much less politically motivated than it is by pol- by biblical compassion, mercy, and justice. Yeah. And he says, I believe that the core issue in the pro-life versus pro-choice debate is whose rights matter most. Is it the rights of the mother or is it the rights of the infant in her, in her womb? I believe, he says, that the answer is yes. Yeah, right. He, I believe that the answer is yes. And, and so you and I have thrown the phrase out, Imago Dei, a lot uh, that everybody is made in the image of God. Uh, and as believers, I, I think I'm safe to say this, we would both say uh, that we believe that that a baby becomes um, is is created in the image of God, not just born in the image of God. Is that fair I, to say? Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely fair to say. Um, and so I do think, man, I don't I don't get passionate about a ton of issues. I try to come down the middle a lot of issues. This is one where I just get so riled up and so sad and so worked up. Um, but yet want to show grace to people who've gone through this. Kelly Brady and I were talking about this the other day on the show, and Kelly said, I want to start by saying if you've had an abortion before, uh, God can forgive you. God's grace is big enough. He still loves you. And I thought that was very pastoral uh, and a great point on his. But I do think uh, as Christians uh, we need to stand up um, for the dignity and for the protection of the unborn. I think that is in our culture, that is a that is a hill to die on. That is a battle that we need to fight. Well, and I, I think it, it is it's fascinating to me even how we react to statements that would otherwise I think if we if we said them in a pulpit, people would maybe be more receptive, but if we say them online like I, yeah. I, I posted a few days ago, I said if we want to be pro life, let's not just be pro birth. Let's diligently care for all ages and stages. It's great. All shapes and sizes, all colors and creeds, essentially saying yeah, let 
be pro-life, um, but also be willing to adopt some babies and care for some single mamas. Like we have, that has to be a part of that. And some people kind of wrote me and they said, you know, that that's, that's sort of a, a slogan, a propaganda statement from this side or that side. And I, I said, honestly, I'm, I'm actually less interested in which political side has used or co-opted this idea. And I'm more interested, does that sentiment feel or sound like to the best of my knowledge, like Jesus? Yes. So this idea like, oh man, he's talking about caring for all of life. That's, you know, that this side's using that, that side's using that. I'm at the end, at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't know. I don't really care who's using it. Is that Christ-like? Is right. Jesus would he would he live like that? Let's point toward that. Um, but I yeah, I think it's the thing that made me kind of heartbroken a little bit, and I sh- I shouldn't be surprised is is how uh, unwilling so many seem to listen to the other side, quote unquote, the other side. See, even in my rhetoric, <laughs> yeah. I'm inclined to speak about it as the other side. You know, like Summers, I read this article. It said, "Here's what Article 25A is really about. It updates an outdated law, it protects doctors from criminal prosecution in the event that they have to perform a late-term abortion in order to save the life of the mother. Yes, there may be some gray areas surrounding what's life-threatening, um, but who do we really want making those decisions? A physician in the moment or a legislator with a hypothetical on paper? And I thought, okay, so that's an interesting perspective that I had not yet considered, to be honest. And again, this is way above my pay grade. So right. I'm not really sure what we what we do with that. Well, I've got some thoughts. When we come back, uh, we'll close this one up. We'll carry this over to, to our next one here. Uh, but also coming up, we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about the Super Bowl and a reporter who we all know very well and some interesting things he had to say. That's on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm with Ian Simpkins. Uh, We'll be right back. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again by Ian Simpkins. And uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can do so at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good radio show you can find uh you can find old shows as well at 1160hope.com before we went to break Ian and i were having a discussion that could last the whole show a discussion about these abortion laws in new york's in the state of new york and in virginia um and less about the law and more about what do we as christians just do in a culture uh that embraces abortion uh, that that as even Ian pointed out, there's often doctors and and other people on both sides making good arguments. And uh, I wanted to close out of Scott Saul's blog that we were referring to again, ScottSauls.com. He wrote a blog called New York. You made my heart sink last week. And he wrote this. Any self-proclaimed pro-lifer who speaks for the unborn but stands indifferent towards the desperate conditions that tempt many women to consider desperate decisions Mm. is only partially pro-life. Like Mm. the New Testament Pharisees, she or he will place burdens on others' backs but won't lift a finger to help bear the burden. My my final take on this, friends, is that this is an issue that we should be protesting and yelling about from the rooftops 
But ultimately, the church and the followers of Jesus need to be what Saul calls comprehensively pro-life. Hmm. That we need to enter into the pain that even makes this a reality for some people. So yes, we need to stand up with everything we have for the unborn, but we also have to stand up and fight the things that cause this to even be a reality for many women. Yeah. Uh, what what Saul calls comprehensively pro-life. Ian, does that, does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah, I think we could probably talk about this for hours longer. So I'll I'll just I'll let you have the final word there. I think that's good. And I'm sure it won't be the last time we end up talking about this. So um, the Super Bowls this week. Are you aware of that, Ian? You're, you're in your you're in your days of newbornness that you probably you, are like, what Super yeah, Bowl? What? What year, what year is it? I don't even know. It is the Super Bowl. Is this Sunday? It's the Patriots and the Rams. And if you're any kind of football fan, you know that there is one reporter that you go to for football news, and that's ESPN's Adam Schefter. Uh, Schefter is like the preeminent guy in breaking news. Okay. Yeah. And he'll joke about how he has to have multiple phones on at any point. If he's out to dinner with his wife, he's got to, she knows he has to take any phone call that comes. It's a 24 hour a day, seven week, seven day a week job. And so Schefter did an interview recently and he said this, breaking a story is like a drug to him. Hmm. How he commutes to New York and the Bristol, Connecticut and the toll of all of it. And I want you to reflect, Ian, on this quote that Schefter tells Sports Illustrated. I don't necessarily love over time what my job has done to me. It has made me more jittery, more anxious, more on guard, more impatient. I'm sure some parents like to take their kids skiing. I couldn't do that, really. It's too hard for me to go do some of these things. Hmm. I I mean, I appreciate his perspective. Um, I, I think a lot of times people don't have that kind of uh, aha moment until the end of their lives or the end of their careers. Um, I think that sentiment is probably truer for more people than we even realize. Like I I wonder even if just someone's listening, thinking like, Oh, that's true for me. I think it's easy when you are uh, prone to workaholism, um, to overdoing it, to feeling your schedule is too full. Like sometimes you, that just becomes the new norm and you can just sort of coast even at a frantic pace. I think sometimes people think of coasting as, taking it easy. I'm like, no, I think sometimes we coast just simply doing things the way that we've done them. Yeah. And uh, I I would love to sit down with him and have a cup of coffee to, to say, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Exactly. Then? In light of this awareness, uh, are you allowing the urgent to choke out the important, right? And I think th- this idea of prioritizing and um, making hard decisions, you know, because a lot of times we will blow off friends closest to us because we know they'll forgive us or we take our family for granted because we know that you know they're going to be with us through thick and thin. And I think as a result, sometimes the people closest to us suffer the most because of our drive or our vision or our, um, our appetite, even for, you know, whatever that is success or achievement, or, you know, even just what he talks about being jittery. Like my leg is shaking right now. I've had five <laughs> cups of coffee. I, you know, I, I can get, I can certainly get some of that. And I've had those, those moments myself and, and have asked, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Ian? like, what's going to change in your life uh, in light of that realization? And that's a, that's a really hard thing to tackle. Yeah. And it strikes me as, as, you know, uh, almost surprising because Schefter has reached the pinnacle of his profession. Like, yeah. and, and there are people going to school across the country in journalism who want to be Adam Schefter. And he's basically at the mountaintop going, Hey, it, it's got a big cost to it. Like there's yeah, been right. a big cost. Uh, you and I live in the pastor world 
Uh, and this, this kind of workaholism and this kind of, there's just a little bit more I have to do yep. uh, and sacrificing the things that are most important. Uh, pastors are notorious, are just notorious for this. So um, this is not kind of a point your finger at. I know for me, it can really become easy to say, hey, I'll take one more meeting. Uh, I'll do one more thing. I'll do one. And, and it always, it always comes at, at the expense of one of two things, right? My own health or the family. <laughs> yeah. Because well, and that's, always that's important. Yeah. Totally. And I think the idea of, of seeing Sabbath as just a day during the week is to, to miss the point of Sabbath in a pretty massive way. It, it is about a day a week, but it is also about living in Sabbath rhythms. It's stopping the work, not because the work is done, but because it's time to stop. And I think that is so hard for us to do and sort of like a, we, you know, it's easy to buy into the lie that I am the sum of my accomplishments mm. and particularly in Christian work, you know, like when we're, when we talk about, oh, I, you know, I work for Jesus. That's the, it's this really massively important work. How could I ever stop these, this idea of, of rest, you know, in music, rest is what makes music listenable without rests in music. It's just a wall of noise. And I mm. think sometimes our lives can resemble that when it's just constant on constant, you know, foot on the gas. And then we collapse at the end of the night and then we do it again. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, even times, like if someone looks over my shoulder and they see how full my calendar is yeah. and they go, wow, you're really busy. There's a little part of me that feels good about that. Like, yeah. yeah, I am busy. Like I got stuff to do. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's not healthy. That's not good. That's, you know, that's feeding something in me. That is a lie that I am the sum of what I can accomplish, what I can do. And I think it's not just about get a better planner or be more diligent about time off. That to me, um, that's maybe the fruit, but the root of it is, do you truly know who you are in Christ first and foremost? And if you don't get that right, well, then of course you're going to be chasing after all these other things. And, you know, Jim Carrey said it well. I wish everyone could accomplish everything they've ever wanted to so they could see it's not the answer. Mm. It doesn't satisfy the way you think it's going to satisfy. Man, if you are in your car right now, that's such a good word. If you're in your car right now and you're like, you know what? Uh, I, I, this is, I'm on that rat race. Like, and, and I would encourage you with this. In this story, Schefter never says that anything's going to change. Like, it's just kind of like, well, this is how my life is. I'm always going to be jittery. I'm never going to go skiing with my kids. Right. Uh, and that makes me sad for him. And I don't yep. know that, you know, this is just one interview. Uh, but take some tangible steps. Like, instead of just going, yeah, that's me. Take some tangible steps. What does it look like you to have Sabbath, as Ian said, to unplug? Yeah. And uh, what? how can that get put into your life? Well, that's yeah. one of what we want to wrestle with on The Common Good here, kind of helping us get through the gray and the messiness of life. Uh, and coming up next, speaking of messiness and gray, for the first time in our short history, we're going to talk about The Bachelor. <laughs> oh, that should be enough of a tease to get you back. <laughs> Again, my name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, joined by my co-host Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at Community Christian Church, The Yellow Box, uh, in Naperville, Illinois. We've always said one of the points of the common good of this show is to try to um, deal with the messy and deal with the gray and give you guys a venue uh, to to discuss and to argue, and that our goal in the end is not always to give you the answer, uh, but it is to give you the ability to think through the questions and the problems and and kind of think Christianly, if you will. So that is the purpose 
uh, of this show. If you'd like to interact with us on the on Facebook, Ian, I almost said the Facebook. <laughs> I almost said the Facebook. This is my, my favorite day so far. On the internets, <laughs> uh, if you'd like to find us on Facebook, you can do so at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you can find us. Leave us a uh, subscribe to it. Leave us a good review. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, so, Ian, you and I are both former youth pastors. That's right. And uh, there was always that day, at least when I was a youth pastor, <laughs> that we would do the talk. Sure. Right? Why, whatever do you mean, Brian? Yes, exactly. It was it was the abstinence talk. It was the sex talk. And we always did that once a year. I was the witty youth pastor who always chose to do it around Valentine's Day. Smart. Wow. <laughs> Groundbreaking. And you as an old youth pastor, I'm sure that this was part of your uh, your yearly deal at least. Because mm-hmm. in yeah. some ways, parents expect it of us. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. keep my for, kids. For better safe. or for worse, right? Exactly. And so uh, we came across just this reminder, this article about The Bachelor right now. The Bachelor, uh, Ian and I can both say with, uh, with uh, certainty that we do not regularly watch The Bachelor. Don't uh, even put regularly in there. I don't want. Do you watch it occasionally? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I will say there w- earlier when it was on earlier uh, in its in its uh, kind of run, uh, there was a season where my wife and I watched it, and finally we looked at each other and we're like, "What are we doing?" <laughs> but there I was a se- there was a season where we watched all of those, right? Like that, or like, "Hey, we just met and now we're getting married." Like, all right, gotta watch that too. <laughs> married at first sight, I exactly. think is what it's called. <laughs> sure, you never watched those, right? Yeah, never. Yeah. Well, this year on The Bachelor, one of the major deals is they have a bachelor who's a virgin. His name yeah. is Colton Underwood. Uh, And this is the deal because people can't believe that a good-looking 26-year-old guy uh, who had a short professional football career uh, could still be a virgin. And this is like the biggest deal. And and the article goes on to say this, taking all of this in total, all that they've said about him, The Bachelor communicates and reaffirms about modern sexual culture is that virginity indicates a lack of validity in certain aspects of someone's romantic life and we get to you know this conversation always comes up whether it was tim tebow uh or whether it's the bachelor uh, our culture doesn't seem to and be able to uh, even have a way of of even thinking about this yeah right well and one contestant even said um i haven't dated a virgin since i was 12 oh my and gosh. i got that like is that maybe is more sad to me than oh, anything. And I, that's hard. The headline kind of says it all, though. The star of The Bachelor is a virgin, and no one knows how to handle it. Like, yes. I, it's a long article, too. I think it's fascinating that there's so much discussion around this at all, even to the point where people are accusing him of having, um, you know, a different orientation of some kind, or that there's like it. It even says that he didn't make this decision for any like moral or religious reasons. He just had other pursuits, and people are losing their minds over it and it is fascinating to me too how many times it's referenced that he's like he's attractive he's physically fit like oh gosh if those things are there how could this possibly be reality what what is wrong with him for this to be the case and i just think man the way people have responded is so curious to me that's an interesting way to put it there's all all, in people's minds who are watching the bachelor who are part of the bachelor there's something deficient about him. There's got to be something wrong with him. He's a good-looking guy. He's young. He was a football player. There's got to be something wrong with him because uh, because otherwise there's no way to explain that he's still a virgin at the age of 26. Right. And it's such a cultural um, 
it says something about our culture. Uh, but then you and I, we wanted to, to to tie it back to our jobs as pastors and, and back in the day as youth pastors. Uh, and you came across this article you sent to me in Relevant Magazine uh, that's titled this, Everything My Church Taught Me About Sex and Marriage is Wrong. Yeah. And so unpack that one a little bit, because I do think in churches we've done a disservice uh, to a lot of our students who are trying to understand this issue. Yeah, and I, I think, it, again, this is a complicated issue, yep. and I don't, you know, I didn't get married to my 30s, so even just the topic of singleness was yeah. a, a topic that was and still is very near and dear to my heart, because I, I often think the church doesn't know how to teach about that well, and I I, I remember teaching at a college once, um, and I may have gotten in a little trouble for this, but what I what I, I may was, have, you mean you I did. <laughs> I probably did, but it was, yeah, a Christian university, and um, I said to a room full of college students, I said, the goal isn't virginity. The goal is holiness. We've created mm. this idol of virginity that I just like white knuckle it to, to marriage, just get to the day. And there's so many things that I think are unhealthy about that, not the least of which it sets this expectation uh, that is so unrealistic, um, you know, as you enter into marriage. And it creates this weird kind of dichotomous, like, hey, everything else is permissible. Just don't. Just don't cross that line. Yes. Right? Just hang on tight. Be a virgin. It doesn't speak intelligently at all to how do we help um, people young and old deal with, like, what does it mean to be created as sexual beings? And how do we instruct married and single people, divorced people, people who are wrestling and grappling and journeying? And, and you know, the example in this relevant article is talking about, and I've seen a number of guys, uh, mostly guys, do this, especially in the youth ministry circuit. Um, refer to their wives as smoking hot, you know, the smoking <laughs> hot wives and like what, what that does and how that, it isn't really a great way to honor your wife. And it creates this, like, is that all she is to you? Is that she, she's this smoking hot, like trophy wife and that that is the goal of biblical marriage. And I think those types of sentiments can yeah. sometimes really subtly um, unravel this really beautiful thing that I believe that, that God has created. But I also think it's important to state that like, Genesis says that the two shall become one, not that the halves will become whole, right? Mm. It's not, it's, you're not incomplete until you get married, right? Yeah. Like singleness yeah. isn't waiting, it's living. And so often this like singleness is like, oh, I just got to wait until this thing happens. Yeah. I'm like, man, you're missing what God wants to like do in and through you right now. Like what, you know, it's, it isn't this waiting room mentality that so many of us, you know, have been taught, I think in Christian circles. It's such one of my regrets as a youth pastor that I think I only realized after being done with it, unfortunately, was just the mere fact that the conversation always turned to, well, then what can I do? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Meant that there wasn't an understanding. If I could go back and do youth ministry again, I would just spend all of my time helping the kids, the students understand the gospel and mm -hmm. understand who Jesus is and constantly try to remind them that, guys, uh, the, the, uh, the pathway to abundant life uh, is through Christ. Hmm. It's not a burden that he's putting upon us. He's not like some cosmic killjoy going, hey, watch me just burden these kids. But but that he's got something better for us, whether we're single or whether we're in high school or whether we're married, whatever it is, uh, that following the ways of the Lord are going to open ourselves up to abundant life. Yeah, right. Well, and, and the thing that's important, I think, in this article in particular, this story is talking about what's behind the veneer of my smoking hot wife is, you know, when these guys are talking about sex, it makes it sound like it's all about them. You know, I'd love to hear the perspective of the wife, right? Like it's, it's about sacrifice and kindness. It's not just about, you know, turning off the lights and playing some Marvin Gaye. Like it, let, let's, let's talk about the full spectrum of what it means to be 
like committed to one another to love and serve one another like that's that's as important yes. as anything else in that discussion and when we when we separate the two you know sex and marriage and all this i just think we do a disservice to both this article in relevant magazine ends this way he the author writes i believe it is worth it totally worth it to wait for marriage to have sex i believe it flows in a deeper more worthwhile current from the common thread uh, of casual sex i believe abstinence is sacramental in the same way that a fast is sacramental, it is an active choice to place my mind on things above. I think ultimately a part, I love your line there, man, about the goal being holiness. That is mm. it. There's so many things in life that if we could just grasp, the goal is not not to do this. The goal is our holiness and the abundant life right. we have in Christ. Well, that's the goal of the common good. You are listening to the common good. My name is Brian Fromm along with Ian Simpkins. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk about Christian Netflix. Is it needed? (laughs) What's it might even look like? This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again by Ian Simpkins. We are hoping that you're staying out of the cold today. What a crazy couple of days it has been here (laughs) in the Chicagoland. But Ian, we didn't burst any pipes we did I mean, not yet, man. We're not out of the woods yet. I think we're, I think we're close. I think we're close. Although now they they threw in like, hey, yeah, it might snow. <laughs> but I just Gosh. read that it might be fifty degrees on Sunday or Monday. Like that's well, just that's like a hundred degree difference, real temperature as to what it was. Like that's just, I don't know. Chicago, I'm, I'm going for a swim. Chicago's out of its mind right now. Right now, that's what's going on. It's just Chicago as a whole has just gotten crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's never else been true in history. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. Ian, tell me about this. The new family-friendly streaming service wants to be the Christian Netflix. You had me. I'm I'm interested. I'm interested. Uh, Tell me about it. Okay, so the story starts this way. Look out, Pure Flix. There's a new sheriff in town, and by town, we mean the family-friendly streaming escape. 24 Flix is coming onto the scene with its own collection of clean classics and original offerings. So... Um, the founder, uh, Marty Jean Luis, had an interview with the uh, with the Christian Post and said it was on his heart to start a Netflix style streaming network that would focus on family friendly entertainment. Uh, later, they were <laughs> asked how their service differs from other Christian based services like PureFlix and CrossFlix, which I did not know was a thing. Mm. CrossFlix. So if you want to Google that, you can find that at google.com uh <laughs> at google.com just to give a little brian like uh <laughs> invitation there i I, um, I got it i appreciate it but it's uh, he said that he explained that 24 flicks would aim for a greater balance in terms of faith-based content and more generally family-friendly affair um it has christian programming but also has for instance uh the old superman television show available to stream as well as movies like the adventures of robin hood all of which are things that i like that's my my concern isn't that it's you know necessarily bad programming, which I imagine some of it will be, but like just the headline of the the Christian Netflix. Yeah, is is that a thing? And we've talked about this before, even with like Lauren Daigle and the uh, the idea of a Christian artist versus um, just an artist who is a Christian. Like, is this a helpful trend for us to continue to see this compartmentalizing of oh, okay, you have Netflix and now you have christian netflix and you have you know what i mean i, I just think that that could potentially be a, d- a dangerous direction yeah. for us to continue to segment and compartmentalize these things that maybe shouldn't be what do you think so when i first read the title when you sent it to me i was like ready to be to be like no this is a bad idea 
like, and I think it's a little clickbaity, right, by calling it the Christian Netflix. Yeah. So, so I've got. I mentioned this earlier in the show. I've got three kids: a freshman, a fifth grader, and a fourth grader. Um, so I'm going to try to nuance this. I really like this idea hmm. uh, from this standpoint. Like, it can be hard for me to navigate and remember. Uh, what is going to be appropriate for my kids? Like, for instance, you're all going to think I'm a terrible parent. But the other day, again, you're going to think I'm a terrible parent again. Uh, the other day, I, I excitedly told my fourth and fifth grader, let's watch Happy Gilmore together. Okay. Uh, have you seen Happy Gilmore in a while? Uh, why, do you, why do you say in a while? Assuming that I have it off? <laughs> so I thought that the fact that I took it off the TV, I DVR'd it off the TV, and uh, so I'm like, oh, it'll be toned down. I had to turn it off after 10 minutes. Like, no kidding. I'm not that parent. Like, I'm okay. Like, you know, we, we don't have all these controls around our kids. But, um, but it was uncomfortable. And I was like, oh. And my kid's like, this is hilarious. I'm like, no, guys, we're going to talk. We're gonna, Dad made a mistake here. <laughs> we're going to wow. back this one up. So I like having a place where I know that I can go and find things. What I don't want to turn this into in my life is like, this is the alternative to big bad culture. Yeah, uh, right. Protect right. my children, please. Yep. Uh, what I want to make this is the ability to go. Okay, me and my wife can go. You know what? Let's go find something where we know we're not going to have to be worried that we're going to be cringing and like hurting our kids and introducing them to things they shouldn't know. Totally. So I guess it's that. Like if this is like, oh, I've got to put myself in my Christian bubble and get all things that are quote unquote the world away from my children uh, and only show them, you know. Um, you know, Christian movies and leave it to beaver. Right. Both of which are fine. <laughs> right. Uh, then, then I'm probably not for this. Let well, me put it this. I, I wouldn't say not for it. I would say I'm probably not the person that's going to subscribe to that. Sure. Well, and it, it's, it feels a little bit difficult for me to talk to this intelligently because, you know, my oldest is 15 months. So mm-hmm. like ask me in 10 years how, how I would navigate this. And I think just hearing you talk about that, maybe my issue is calling it Christian Netflix. If you, yes. if it's, Hey, it's clean streaming. I'm like, okay, that's great. That's I'm fine. I am fine with that. I think you hit it on the head, though. Like sometimes we can over sanitize and over protect. Yes. And in the same way that like our actual physical bodies, when we when we over sanitize and protect, we we actually are more prone to sickness. I think the same can be true sometimes socially and culturally. That um, man, just to hunker down, like okay, don't look at anything, don't talk to anyone, don't listen. Ever to like that to me can be, yes. uh, and again, that's the extreme, but maybe, maybe my issue then, and it doesn't look like that's what it's called, but the, the idea of Christian Netflix, yeah, um, to me strikes at something deeper that, like, why, okay, so when Jesus is seen, you know, eating and sharing meals with the least of the, the outcasts, when we slap the title Christian on everything, it almost always means squeaky clean sanitized yeah. right yeah. like it that, that feels out of balance a little bit with me and why 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 is it when we hear the word christian we don't think of like risk and adventure mm. and like the the marginalized the oppressed like that people don't often think like man i really want to change the world i need to join a church that's that concerns me and i think as pastors that's something that weighs on us really heavily like that okay so is that are they part and parcel because we've so branded the idea of Christian anything to mean like safe, protected, hunker down, which again I'm not against. Yep. Um, I just wonder what that what that does in general to the term. And I hope we do this show for years so that we can watch your kids get older because yeah. it's uh, it is an interesting one. Like my kids, I I notice things now in commercials that I didn't notice before, hmm. or I notice things in like random TV shows that I never noticed before. So again, 
for me, we, my wife and I are not the types to like bubble our children away. Like they're right. in public school. <laughs> they're doing, we, we watch fun shows, right? We watch America's Got Talent or things like that. Um, but, but you do realize to, to have this option, I think is good. Again, I think this is probably the headline is probably a bit much to the Christian Netflix. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, well, that probably doesn't have as good a selection as regular Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) So if I have to pay for one or the other, I'm going to pay for regular Netflix, but man, you took it in a good direction there. Like, uh, what does it say? Uh, What are we, when we're trying to get safer and sanitized, maybe that's not always the goal of the church and of the believer. That's a, that's a good, that's a direction I hadn't thought of, uh, that I think is helpful. Well, and I'm I'm wrestling with that right now too. I've been reading some stuff by uh, a guy named Alan Hirsch, who I think is brilliant, and he he talks about the church in the West is in danger because of how risk averse we are. When when you when you aim at ministry, you missed you miss mission. But when you aim at mission, you get ministry thrown in because ministry is the vehicle by which we live mission. He yeah. says, but so often our churches. Um, have just become this civil religion that affirms the lifestyle that I'm already living, which for many of us is safe, which again, it's not wrong to want to protect your family, right? And to protect your right. bank account. That's fine. That's fine. But he talks about, man, in the West in particular, um, we're in trouble because the, the adventure piece, the, the boldness that we saw in the early church that even prayed for more of it. God, give us more courage, do yeah. crazy things in our midst. Uh, he says, sometimes I think we miss when our first aim is is safety and security. Yeah, and I think a, a helpful thing for me as a parent in this is use this type of thing as a tool, uh, but don't use it as a protection. And it, mm. it's our goal. We want to be the parents of our children. Someday your kids are going to leave your house. Yeah. And so if all you've done is shelter them from everything as opposed to helping them know how to navigate things and to understand Jesus and to understand the influences in their life— um, that that's our role as parents. It's not show them everything, but it's also not show them nothing. It's help them process, talk them through it when that commercial comes on or this. But use something like this, uh, quote unquote, Christian Netflix as another option for yourself when you're yeah. looking for things to watch. That's good and to do. Well, this is the common good. One of our goals uh, is to help you navigate the messiness of life, like raising kids and even what do they are able to see on their phones, on their televisions, and on all sorts of other things. Well. Coming up next, we're going to land the plane, as I like to say, uh, with the, some crazy things we found on the Internet. So on this, on this brutally cold Thursday, we're going to try to give you some warm laughs. This is The Common Good <laughs> on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Well, here we are back on The Common Good. If you've uh, been around with us these last couple of weeks, you know that we always like to end our show uh, after having gone through some some hard topics and some some weightier things. We like to take the last segment and just laugh. We like to go. We like to laugh at funny things we found on the internet. Hey, and you've, have you come up with a better name than that? Because I'm still going with it. But yeah, I thought interweb insanity was a was a real contender, <laughs> okay. and you never. Apparently, I need to find something else. Is what I'm reading. Is what I'm. Uh, that's the subtext Maybe. here. You, all right, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Interweb insanity's not bad. Not bad. <laughs> How about web wackiness? <laughs> okay. That's better than internet insanity? Probably not. All right. <laughs> Probably not. If you've got ideas or you have things you want to send to us, you can do so at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Also online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows um, and figure out ways to get our podcast as well. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going first. Kansas. We're going to Kansas. All right. Family argument during Game of Monopoly leaves one person injured in Kansas. 
I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> a popular board game, Monopoly, the popular board game Monopoly, has the power to bring families together, but in one case, leaving one person in need of stitches this weekend. Oh, no. Uh, he tweeted out a brief, the police chief tweeted out a brief uh, regarding the incident, writing that the police were called after a report of aggravated battery. Police report that the victim was playing a game of Monopoly with his cousin when they engaged in an argument. The cousin's girlfriend then hit the victim and shoved him into a mirror. Injuries oh required stitches. You ready for the joke that this article goes? Oh, geez. The suspect fled the scene of the crime and no arrests have been made, bringing a whole new meaning to the loathed Monopoly Square. Go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> that is lame. But I also, I mean, when was the last time you played Monopoly and left on a happy note? Unless, I just, or I even mean, unless you won. It. <laughs> or even oh, finished it. Oh, man. That's a good point. Uh, okay, so I have so many today. I'm going to have a hard time even choosing between them. Awesome. Um, but this one is maybe my favorite headline that I've ever read anywhere, and I'll, I want to read it slowly so that you get it. <clears throat> Campaign to change the name of Fire Ants to Spicy Boys Gathers Pace. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to, um, to uh, change.org petition. Um, change.org. I know uh, of it, yes. Yeah, this it's it's gaining all sorts of steam right now to change the name of fire ants to spicy boys and <laughs> spicy boys <laughs> i've been laughing at this for like a day and a half just sitting on it and i i really i hope them the best i hope they're successful because i would love for that to be a normal part of our conversation oh that's really funny I, I'm I'm gonna go and find that one and sign it. Should, I'm in. Really should spicy, not spicy and spicy boys. Spicy boys. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's warm your heart here, Indiana. Some of you might be listening from Indiana. Uh, Indiana nine one one dispatcher helps caller with math homework. An Indiana nine one one dispatcher is being praised after she helped a frustrated young caller with his <laughs> math homework. Oh. A young boy uh, called the dispatch dispatcher by the name of Antonia Antonia Bundy. And she picked up the phone from a young boy who reported having, quote, a really bad day and tons of homework. The boy explains he's having particular difficulty with fractions. Uh, and he said, I'm sorry for calling you, but I really needed help. <laughs> and this lady stayed on the phone and she helped the boy uh, with his homework. Uh, the, the police sergeant said they do receive some oddball requests, but this situation of calling asking for homework help. I've been in law enforcement for 13 years. And I don't know if I've ever heard this for happening. It kind of warms your heart. Obviously, there's some obvious questions. Why did he have to call 911 to get help with his math homework? But right, right. the fact that she stayed on the line and did it, that's happy. I like that. I like that story. Well, the fact that it's fractions, too, I get it. I'm, I, huh? I hear you, man. I, I'm right there. With, if we didn't have calculators on our smartphones, I'd be, uh, I'd be donezo. I, that, by the way, as my kids get older, I realize I have less and less ability to do their math homework from an earlier and earlier age. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, absolutely. I, I tutored a, uh, a fifth grade after school thing for a little bit when I was in college, and half the time they'd bring me their work, and I'm like, I, we need to phone a friend or something. I have <laughs> no idea how to even address this question. Really humbling. All right. Uh, this one, again, the headline says it all. Uh, <laughs> woman who married a 300-year-old pirate ghost reveals they're splitting up. The first line says, breakups are always tough. One woman is mourning the end of her marriage to a dead centuries-old pirate, and no, he didn't ghost her. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a real article, man. I I thought for sure this was The Onion, and maybe this is like an entire story later down the road that we can talk about, but this is a real thing, and um, 
says just a, a less than a year into her marriage, she says it's over. So I don't know if you have a joke or a pun waiting to go for this one. You know that I do. I'm please. surprised you even asked that question. <laughs> Share it with the world. Do you know what my first thought was when you when you shared this story? No. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm even laughing at that. I'm just mostly jealous I didn't make the joke myself. <laughs> All right, I'm taking us to Florida, but this is another. Uh, this is not a weird Florida one as much as it is another heartwarmer. I'm going for heartwarming stories today because it's so cold outside. Life feels gray and bitter, so I'm going heartwarming stories. <laughs> yeah, Florida dog honks car horn to get owner's attention. An oh. impatient dog left inside its owner's car while she went into a store showed its impatience by, re- by repeatedly honking the horn. <laughs> The dog's owner said that she left the windows open for her dog when she dipped into the fine wine liquor store in West Palm Beach, Florida, but the canine became impatient anyway. The owner shared a video showing the impatient pooch repeatedly honking the car's horn in the parking lot until the owner finally came out. (laughs) Dogs are smarter than we think, man. Dogs are smarter than we think. That's really fascinating. I mean, uh, anecdotally, I guess I'm glad that the dog is communicating like i'd rather know than not know maybe yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty impressive though i, I gotta say so. props to whoever taught that dog that trick all right this one uh this one comes from across the pond headline says uh, middle-aged man will listen to you moan about your life for seven pounds an hour <laughs> so again there's probably uh some subtext here that if if we had more time we could unpack a little bit like where at what state of a culture are we that we need to hire somebody um, just to moan about it. Not a trained professional. It's not a therapist or psychologist. I'm, I'm all for that, absolutely. But he's just a, a guy, a guy named uh, Austin. And you can call him and complain about your life, and uh, he'll give advice or he'll just listen uh, for the simple price of seven pounds an hour. Can I, can I get that number? <laughs> <laughs> it's long distance for you, so it might be more pricey than you're willing to pay. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I mean, we do have services where you can call people just to get a hug. That's you can do true. Stuff like that. So, all right, last one for me, South Carolina. A South Carolina man allegedly faked his own kidnapping. This starts sad. Like, he faked his own kidnapping to get money out of his mom. Uh, oh, but you wow. want to know how much he tried to uh, extort, how much money he tried to extort out of his mom? He <laughs> left a message saying, leave the money in this spot. 130 bucks. <laughs> Oh, no. Said, I have your kid, and if I don't get 130 bucks, he might be killed. Uh, buddy, that says something about your self-esteem and how Jeez your mom Louise, views you. Please, man. 130 bucks. All right, we got time for one more if you got one. Here's my last one. It's a little old, and I'd love to, I'd love to talk about this one at length sometime, but the headline says, the, uh, a photo of an egg is the most liked post on Instagram, beating the record held by Kylie Jenner. And I, I looked at the, it's the most unremarkable photo of just yes. an egg. And uh, it's up to like 51 million likes, which is now the most liked photo on Instagram. So it says some really good things about our society, and it says some terrible things about our culture. That's <laughs> true. Hey, Ian, stay warm, man. It's been yes, fun. Yes, sir. Stay warm again. My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Have a great Thursday, Chicagoland.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.